0: This is episode 111 of the Steady Trade podcast with your host Tim Bowen.
1: Without the internet, how could you know anything?
0: Today, Tim is absolutely thrilled to be joined by Jim Rogers.
2: Well, I'm not sure I know anything even with the internet, Jim. Uh, I'm trying to learn every day.
0: Jim was born in October 1942. He grew up in a small town in Alabama. He was the co-founder of the Quantum Fund and Soros Fund Management, and he talks a little bit about what it was like to work with George Soros. I basically did the research and he did the trading. Jim also explains why he retired at the age of 37
2: and what he sees as ultimate success. I wanted adventure. I went around the world on a motorcycle, as you know. I got in the Guinness Book of Records a couple of times. So I wanted to do what I wanted to be free to do. I didn't want to have to be nice to people I didn't want to be nice to.
0: And best of all, Jim gives his advice on what the rest of us can do to find our own success.
2: Well, everybody should do what they want if they want to go to Princeton and read literature by all means. But if they want to become a welder or a farmer and they love it, they're going to be much, much more successful than everybody else if they find what they love and they do it.
0: So let's join the conversation between Tim and Jim as they discuss how a lot of people settle in life. They stay in the same place they were born. They take the same kind of job and live the same kind of life that their parents had. Or maybe they go to law school or business school or medical school. But none of those things were really all that interesting to Jim Rogers. Were they, Jim?
2: About the only thing I was interested in was what was going on in the world. I was very keen on the... The world around me uh, and the world I hadn't seen yet but wanted to see, oh, my gosh, these guys would pay me to know about the world and to predict the future and find ways to invest in what was happening in the world. So I didn't go to law school. I didn't go to business school. I didn't go to medical school. As soon as I could, I went to Wall Street because that was what I, I loved. I didn't know that's what I loved. I didn't know anything about Wall Street. All I knew about Wall Street was that something bad had happened in 1929, and that it was in New York somewhere. I didn't know there was a difference in stocks and bonds, Tim. I thought they were all the same thing back in (laughs) those days. I now know a little bit more. So, you know, I think you know a lot of our our, a lot of our listeners are younger.
1: I, I would say you know probably 20s, 30s is our average demographic. So, when you talk about learning about the world and following markets, I mean. How did you do that in the 60s and 70s? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are like, without the internet, how
2: could you know anything? You know, you know so. Well, I'm not sure I know anything even with the internet, Tim. <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, I'm trying to learn every day. Uh, well, I did read newspapers from four or five different countries every day. Uh, in those days, there was, there was no, I mean, NASDAQ was every morning, uh, runners, messengers, came around to all the offices with pink sheets, they were called, and it was a big, thick thing like that, Of, and they were pink. That's what they were called, pink sheets, of brokers and quotes for over-the-counter stocks. Uh, no, it was if you wanted to buy or sell something over-the-counter, you called up the brokers or the market makers and asked them their quotes, and you did that for three or four, and then you found a, a price, and you you acted. Uh, but as far as the research was concerned, you're exactly right. It was very complicated. As I said, I read newspapers from three, from five different countries every day. I was on mailing lists for many companies to find out what was going on. In every brokerage office, there was a ticker tape. You may have heard the expression ticker tape. Sure. Uh, that's because there was a tape, a ticker tape that spewed out information all day. From either Reuters or from Dow Jones, mainly Dow Jones. And, you know, every five or six minutes you'd go over and check the tape <laughs> to see if something happened to one of your stocks. You wouldn't know otherwise unless you had somebody checking the tape all day long. Uh, and it was a lot of travel, traveling around visiting companies because that was mainly what I did. Now, there are many people who are great traders who never have to go see or know anything about their companies. I once worked for a guy named Roy Newberger who started a firm called Newberger Berman uh back in nineteen twenty-nine. a good year to start a firm. Sure. Uh, and he he never knew anything about what he was trading. He had about a hundred stocks that he knew every tick, IBM, 3M, things like that. And he knew didn't know or care about the fundamentals of those companies, but he was an astonishing trader. I know other guys like that who could trade every minute, every hour, every week, every month, whatever. Uh, they were just phenomenal at it. I was horrible at it. I still am. I'm probably the world's worst trader, single worst market timer, single worst short-term trader in the world, but there's some guys who are phenomenal at it. Whatever interest I had was finding things that were cheap, where there was positive change taking place, and then uh, buying and loading up uh, and trying to own for years. As I said, Roy Newberger was a spectacular short-term trader. I was the worst. I like to own. Th- I'm lazy. I like to own things for years where I didn't have to worry about every tick or every every month. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of our demographic is that kind of that day trader
1: market. So, I mean, a lot of people have that same, a lot of our listeners have that kind of, or at least they're aspiring to be that kind of moment or price action trader where they don't necessarily care what the fundamentals are. If they're, you know, a lot of these same tickers that, that have a lot of range during the day, that's what they're focused on. And and they're not necessarily doing the hardcore
2: fundamental research type stuff. Well, that's like Roy Newberger, and he was phenomenal. That he he lived to be over a hundred. He went to went down to Wall Street over, every day for until he was over a hundred. So, so maybe, maybe your guys who are good short-term traders are going to live a long, long time.
1: <laughs> hey everyone, Tim Bowen here. Really appreciate you listening to the Steady Trade Podcast. I have a great time doing it, really giving back and, and it's a true passion project of mine. But if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of trading in Stocks to Trade Pro, it's a mentorship program that I do twice daily webinars every single day day of the week never miss a day market open market close and i think it is the best way to really speed up that learning curve and the best thing about it and this is something that i'm truly truly proud about is we built an amazing community in stocks to trade pro we have a chat room traders in there all day long new intermediate advanced young old it is an amazing community and i think by working in these twice daily webinars with the chat room, with the community, with stocks to trade, it is one of the best ways to become that consistently profitable trader. So, um, so now, as you, you know, as you kind of started out clerking and you know started out on Wall Street, then where did you, where where you found some success? Obviously, then you know, I know you ended up. How did how did you kind of meet George Soros, and then how did you end up founding the uh, founding the fund with him?
2: Well, I'd been on Wall Street a year or two, and uh, working for Roy. And Roy and I obviously were two entirely different mindsets. I mean, he—I loved him, and he said he loved me. Uh, but it was clearly not for me, anyway. The place that I wanted to be, and I met this guy uh, Soros, who was who needed a young man, and I needed—I was looking for a job. I didn't need one, and so we hit it off, and the rest is history. OK, so if you don't mind,
1: get, you know, again, back to you, give a little bit of a little bit of history just for the listener, you know, because, again, I'm sure pretty much everybody knows George Soros. I mean, that's a it's a bit, you know, when it comes to name names and finance, he's about as big as they get. What uh, you know, what was the history
2: of of, of your guys's work together then? Well, we worked together. But I mean, Tim, I mean, this is a uh, this is this is uh over 40 years, almost okay. 50 okay. years ago. You might as well ask me about my first wife. Uh, <laughs> I, I basically did the research and he did the trading. He was a oh, good okay. trader. I was very interested in the trading and I was very interested in the research and I would go out and find things in which we could invest and we did. Uh, I, I literally was on airplanes a lot, traveling around. You had to in those days. There was no internet, no anything. And I traveled around looking for things to invest in. And, uh, and he invested in them. He was a very good trader.
1: Now you, uh, you know, quote unquote retired. At, at 37, but I mean, you're, in, in, you're, I mean, you're still working today, right? I mean, I mean, you kind of call it retirement, but you're still, you're still on a podcast
2: with me. So. Well, I'm on a podcast for you because, you know, Tim, the reason I'm on a podcast is you, I don't have a job. You know? <laughs> Most people wouldn't bother because they, they got to work. They don't have time to, to spend being interviewed. I don't have a job. I have nothing to do. So I have time. I have time to do this.
1: Um, so, so oddly enough, I actually, I, I retired, um, I sold my business six years ago and I would have been 39. Um, I'm, I'm actually working, you know, a new venture with, with stocks to trade. And then we're doing this podcast and some, uh, we, we produce a trading platform, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of retired at roughly about the same age and, uh, you know, really found the freedom to do whatever I, I, I like. And man, I, I tell you, that's one of the biggest things that I tell the listeners to, to learn from Jim is, is, you know, pursue something with passion and, and and you really can then do whatever you want. And, and, and I think you kind of did that with traveling the world, right?
2: Well, people always, often ask me why I uh, retired so young. Uh, I, if I'd stayed working, I'd probably have a lot more money than I do now, although I haven't had to work since. Uh, but I did because I wanted to – I wanted my freedom. I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do, and I didn't want to wake up at age 85 one day still on Wall Street. Now, Roy Neuberger did it till he was over 100, and he loved it, but that was not what I wanted. I wanted to have more than one life, and so I set out to have more than one life. I wanted adventure. I went around the world on a motorcycle, as you know. I went around the world a second trip. Around the world in a car. I spent five years going driving around the world twice. I got in the Guinness Book of Records a couple of times. Not, the Guinness Book of Records doesn't pay the rent, and my <laughs> parent, my parents liked it. So I wanted to do what I wanted to be free to do. I didn't want to have to be nice to people I didn't want to be nice to. Well said. So that's that's what I set out to do. Now
1: what? Uh, now what? Where where did that idea come from? I'm going to drive a motorcycle around the world. I mean, I mean, what, 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 how does that, how does that come to come to your mind? You know,
2: that's a very, very good question. Uh, <laughs> I can remember early in my life in my teen. well, I had a scooter, but then I had a motor. And I remember very early thinking, gosh, I would love, I love motorcycles are great fun. And I said, it would be fantastic. I wanted to see the world. I very much wanted to see the world. And to my mind, the best way to see the world is on a motorcycle. For those who know about motorcycles, they would probably agree. So I got this crazy bug in my head that someday I was going to get a motorcycle and head off around the world. And who knew? You know, Tim, I look back and I said a lot of things in my life, and I actually did them in the <laughs> end. And I, who knew? I should have listened. I now know I should have listened to myself more often. So now I do listen when I say something crazy. I think, well, Be careful you might do it (laughs) I like that so so I'm I'm, you know I'm kind of an outdoorsman
1: I actually you know I I hunt hunt and and fish a lot I live in, in rural Michigan actually a beautiful area so my one thing I was curious about as you're driving around the world I mean did you like camp on the
2: roadside did you stay in hotels I mean how did you
1: facilitate
2: this trip so, well, at times I had to, but, but no, I basically stayed in the best hotel in town whenever I could. Now, basically, sometimes the best hotel in town was a tent, was sure. camping out or was in a barnyard. I certainly stayed in barnyards and, uh, some pretty hopeless and run down places, but when I could, I stayed in the best hotel in town. But as I say, often the best hotel in town, I mean, sometimes it didn't have indoor plumbing. Sure. So, so. So, there are lots of different places out there
1: now now i 'll kind of move on with, with with my questions, but I had one question What is like you know this is again I, I greatly respect your your sense of adventure. Do you have like the craziest story like from these two trips around the world? I mean, were you ever
2: like held up or robbed, or did you get into like any really sketchy stuff or not?, well, we were held hostage in the Congo once for uh, oh. several days uh, once uh on the car trip, we were stopped by the army. They, by because the, they were, we didn't know why, but they were guarding a bridge. They bombed. They had bombed a bridge, and if we had gone forward, we would have been blown up. Thank goodness they, they stopped us. Uh, no, we we had lots of stories like that. Uh, driving around, we went through on the car trip. We went through fifteen war zones. The motorcycle trip, we went through several war zones, uh, in the Congo, as I said, we were held hostage for several days. Uh, no, the, driving around the world is not driving down to Detroit for the weekend. <laughs> sure, sure, no doubt. <laughs> Going down, driving down to Detroit for the weekend might be more dangerous, but, uh, <laughs> or more of an adventure. These, these days, these days anyway. So
1: you know, a few years ago, and again, you know, I've, I've I've loved Street Smart. So so you made the choice to move to Singapore because of you know you uh you mentioned and and uh, you know I've got your Wikipedia article and stuff too. You kind of mentioned that you saw that Asian culture is as, you know as harder working, um you know maybe not as quote unquote lazy as as America and and the Europeans. What uh, you know? What, what made you move to move to Asia, specifically Singapore? And do you still kind of agree that that is the hotbed of of, of the future?
2: Well, I first went to China in 1984. Uh, you know, all my life I'd heard American propaganda that the the Chinese were evil, vicious, bloodthirsty, dangerous people. I quickly found out they were not. They were ambitious, hardworking, cultured, educated people, disciplined people. Uh, and I came back and I was telling people in writing and broadcasting that everybody should teach their children and grandchildren Mandarin. Oh, my God. And then I had one, a child. So I started – we got a, a governess, Chinese governess in New York. And she was she spoke Mandarin, et cetera. But I realized if I was serious, I really had to take her to a city where she had to speak Mandarin. We tried the Chinese cities. They're all polluted and filthy. So we wound up in Singapore. In Singapore, they speak English and they speak Mandarin. So it seemed perfect for me. So we wound up in Singapore so that my daughter would speak, would have to speak Mandarin. And then we had another daughter and she too. So they have to speak Mandarin. And they do. I mean, it's astonishing. This... Kim, this was beyond my imagination of how successful it's been. The Chinese invite my daughters down to be on Chinese TV because their Mandarin is so good. I never expected that kind of success. Yeah, it's amazing what kids. You know, I've got kids myself. It's amazing what they can just
1: learn by osmosis, even just just kind of being a, around things. You know, and 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 just you know, uh, uh, my my son and my daughter have so many traits that, that they just pick up from me. And it's like I I never taught them that; they just kind of know how to do it. So, for better or for worse. Yeah, great. Yes. For, for, yeah, yeah. For and sometimes it's bad too. Yeah. <laughs> Um. So let's let's get. So that's kind of the the background. Let's kind of move on to some current events. Um, what uh you, you know what do you think uh you know I know you obviously you've been in in commodities uh, pretty much your whole life, currencies, etc. The hot topic of the day, you know, uh, what, what do you think of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin? I mean, what's what's kind of your opinion on them, and and do you think it's just an elaborate pump and dump, or do you think this is the future? So,
2: well. Money is going to be on the computer. There's no question about that. Soon we will not have money. Already in China, money has more or less disappeared. I tried to buy an ice cream the other day in Beijing. Poor woman didn't know what I had money. I had had Chinese money, but she couldn't take money. She didn't know what to do with me, you know, because everybody's money is on the computer, is on the phone now. Sure. In the end, she gave me the gave me the ice cream. She felt so sorry for this poor sap who didn't who couldn't couldn't pay for his ice cream uh i wish i'd been buying a mercedes or something that you would have <laughs> given me but no money's going to disappear it's already disappearing in many places the rest of some of the china's certainly ahead of of america in this regard uh so money's going to be on the computer however uh it's not going to be uh crypto well cryptocurrencies as you just described uh they're going to disappear Many of them have already gone to zero and disappeared, as you know. I guess you know. Sure, uh, many sure. of them have already disappeared. <laughs> the rest will disappear eventually, too. <laughs> but all money is going to be on the computer. And by the way, I don't like that but because that gives governments even more control. Someday they're going to call you up and say, Tim, you've been drinking too much coffee this month. Yep. You know, they're going to know everything you do, everything you do, and they love that. I, I of course, don't like that.
1: Yeah, and, and and we share similar opinions. I I agree that I think that you know digital money is the future, and I also agree that it it will be something. But I don't think it's gonna it's not going to be Ethereum. It's not going to be Bitcoin. It's not going to be any of these current iterations. I think these are like the beta test in essence, you know. And then it'll be <laughs> it'll be something else. Yeah. So
2: well, I mean, I I make plenty of mistakes, Tim. So so who I mean, you you, you want to ask me about my first wife? Oh, my God! What a mistake that was! Uh, so I've made plenty of mistakes in my life, but in my view it's not going to be any of these things that are now known as cryptocurrencies so
1: um let's let's kind of move into some some questions i've I had for like specifically our listeners um now, and, and you touched on this kind of in the beginning, but you know what is your opinion you know I, I know a lot of times day trading specifically a lot of a lot of people will you know, put it down or say it's just gambling, et cetera. But, uh, you know, what is, what is your opinion of, of day trading? Do you, do you think it can be done successfully
2: or, or, you know, et cetera? So. Yeah, no, if you're good at it, for God's sakes, do it. Don't listen to me. <laughs> don't listen to people like me who know, who are no good at it. Uh, by all means, I tell you, Roy Newberger, he was over a hundred years old. He was still down there. Trade, you know, he told me the story. Uh, he, all of in the twenties, everybody was making a lot of money. All he was in retail. All of his friends were on Wall Street making fortunes. So he left the uh, retail, went to Wall Street, nineteen twenty nine, and you know, by nineteen thirty one, he lost everything, right? Uh, <laughs> as did most other people. But he said, and then I realized, then I realized that this is just like like shoes. You buy them and you sell them. You buy them and you sell them. You buy them when they're marked up. You sell them, and so he became a trader because that's how he could make money, especially in the thirties. Especially in the thirties, uh, and he became a what would now be called a day trader, I guess. Right. Became phenomenal at it. Lived to be over hundred years old. His firm was one of the great firms on Wall Street. Newburgh and Burma, it was called. They they were the they were the first. I mean, they set up or or service the first hedge fund. A. David Jones used to use uh, Newberg and Berman as their prime broker because they were the they knew more than anybody else about trading and short term trading. So no, no, if you're good at it, for goodness sakes, do it, do it, do it, do it. Mike Steinhardt, I mean, Mike must be seventy eight or eighty by now. He's phenomenal at it. Uh, I'm horrible at it.
1: <laughs> and, and and again, we we share the same opinion there. I think it can be successful. It can be done successfully. I've done it for years. If you've if you've got that if you're wired that way and some people aren't and I think that that's we totally agree in in that aspect so um next I'd like to you know and this is actually you know a lot of this was in street smarts as well as um you know there's a quote in in your wikipedia article about farming so again I mentioned one of the things I love about retired I live in rural Michigan middle of nowhere beautiful my nearest my nearest neighbor is a mile down the road and it's a rental house that I own so I actually love being in the middle of nowhere but that being said I know a ton of big farmers and uh, I'm a big believer in the future of, of agriculture and especially agriculture technology um, and you know and you talk in this quote um, the farmers are going to be driving Lamborghinis you know and you mentioned that you know you should start Forbes farming um, are you still that bullish on agriculture
2: well, agriculture has been a disaster for th- 35 years or so. Uh, the average age of farmers in America is now uh, 58 years old. Yep. And all, all my farmer buddies are old. Yep. So. Yep. I know they are, and their kids have moved to Detroit or New York or something. Uh, in in Japan, the average age is 66. In Canada, it's the oldest in recorded history. Australia is 58. The highest rate of suicide in the U.K. is in agriculture. Millions of Indian farmers commit suicide. More people in America study public relations than study agriculture. So what more you need to know? It's not going to be any competition soon. Uh, if you can drive a tractor or even control a tractor, you can, it'll be wild, a more driverless tractor soon. Uh, no, there's going to be a huge future throughout history. We've had long periods when the agricultural types were Kings of the world, and we've had long periods when they, were financial types were the kings of the world. Well, financial types have had their few decades. Now it's time for agriculture and that sort of thing again.
1: So I, uh, you know, we'll kind of, kind of wrap up a few things here. So I have a, uh, a 17 year old son, and you mentioned that there's more people studying public relations than agriculture. So I'm actually, I feel blessed. My son is actually pursuing uh, vocational, he's actually taking a vocational, uh, early college program in welding as well as electrical linemen. So, um, I'm actually giddy, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, when, when we're like, uh, visiting with friends and stuff and they're like, oh, you know, cause he's obviously approaching college age and they're like, what are you going to do? Their kids are talking about again, going to some liberal arts college. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, you know, sometimes a lot of people are like, oh, welding, but, I tell him, I'm like, I read. I mean, obviously, you read the Wall Street Journal and financial papers. Everywhere you look, they can't get welders. They're, these are eighty, hundred thousand dollar a year jobs. So, so I, I kind of like your opinion, uh, you know, on my you son's better,
2: choice of career. So you better be nice to your son. You <laughs> better be very nice to your son. That's for sure. Uh, whether he goes to Princeton or becomes a welder, it doesn't matter as long as he has those skills. And then he will always have a big advantage, over, especially the Princeton graduates, because he can start a real business and do real things if he wants to. And in the end, well, everybody should do what they want if they want to go to Princeton and read literature, by all means. But if they want to become a welder or a farmer and they love it, they're going to be much, much more successful than everybody else if they find what they love and they do it.
1: Yeah, and and he – Go ahead and finish. Sorry, you
2: just better be nice to him because he's going to be successful and rich. Yep, yep, and
1: and that's what makes me excited. Is and he loves it. He he. uh I mean, he'll come home again. It's it's at the the local college. You know, he has an early college program, so he goes there the second half of the day from high school. I mean, he comes home, brings me his welding plates. He's all excited. Straight A. I mean, his English grades are eh, but then he brings home straight A's from the welding program because he's he loves it. So.
2: Well, Tim, by all means, encourage you. I, again, I don't know him mean, I don't know what to tell you, but it sounds to me like he's got, he, he's found what he, when I was that age, I had no clue. I was totally, I told you until I was 21, I didn't, I didn't have any clue. And many people, Tim, never find out their passions. And if they do, they're afraid to pursue it. They're afraid to, to run with their passions. Sounds like he's a lucky kid.
1: Yeah. And and I was right there with you. You know, I, I graduated high school and it was like, what do I do now? And they're like, well, go to college. And you know? I'm like, for what? You know, so I ultimately, <laughs> I, I ended up starting a business, um, at, at 22. And then we built that business up over 15 years and, and that's what I retired from. But that was strictly bootstrapped. It had nothing to do with, with college. I, I, uh, I found my passion. We actually started an internet provider back in the early nineties and, and, uh, you know, and, and my passion was building up businesses at that point. So, uh, but yeah, college wasn't it for me either. So.
2: Well. Right now, there's a glut of college people in America uh, in the world, well, especially in America, so not everybody should go to college. We now know we all grew up being told everybody should go to college, but I anyway now know it's not necessarily best for everybody so in fact, let's, it's sometimes, uh, sometimes it's destructive for people
1: yeah, I, I agree, you know, especially right now with the with the escalating costs and you know and the, the whole loan thing, it's like you you start out. You know, you graduate and you're behind the eight ball on day one. So,
2: I told you right now. those kids that use Princeton again as an example, you come out of Princeton, it's going to cost you three or four hundred thousand dollars. And I'm not sure what. It's, it's a wonderful school, and I have wonderful friends from Princeton. But, but three or four hundred thousand dollars. So you can say you went to Princeton is complicated or problematical, if you ask me. So
1: we'll we'll kind of wrap up here with the, with the with the last question I've got for you. What uh, this is something again? I'm kind of asking on the behalf of of my son because he's he's kind of going to be out in the world, and and also a lot of our listeners are younger. Again, we skew to a younger demographic. But uh, you know, what would a twenty year old Jim Rogers, if if you could you know have that time machine and go back to a twenty year old Jim Rogers, what what would you do? today would would you go into finance again or would you go into agriculture or what would you do i I, I
2: would i would not go into agriculture i'd fail at it jim i'd be a terrible failure at agriculture (laughs) i'd go to finance because that's what i loved and knew that i loved and i would certainly do that now i just got through telling you there are fantastic opportunities in agriculture i wouldn't go into agriculture because i'd fail (laughs) because i don't love it i'm not passionate i would go into wall street even though i the financial world has a Bad two or three decades ahead of it, but I would still go because that's what I love. But the, what I really would have changed, I would have learned. Well, I guess I would have gone to China and learned Chinese uh, if I could, if I look back now and known then what I know now. But I would certainly make sure that everybody learn a second language preferably Chinese uh, or Spanish or something. My kids both speak – I told you, I moved here so my kids would would know Chinese because the 21st century is going to be the century of China and the century of Asia, whether we like it or not, and a lot of people don't like it. So I would make sure – if I could go back to when I was 21, 22, I would uh, go to Asia, speak Mandarin, and, and go into the financial community in Asia uh, and then I'd really be rich. <laughs> I would have had a lot of fun, and I would have had an enormous success. Uh, and anybody 20 today, well, first of all, I, I, my daughter, when I have a 16-year-old, and I've told her that if she wants to go to college, she can, but she's got to go far away from home. The most important thing for me about going to college was I learned a lot because I was far away from home, and these people thought differently. I mean, everything they did was different from what I had grown up, and that was the most important part of going to to college for me. So I've told both of them, if you want to go to college, whatever you want to do, you got to go far away to do it because that's going to teach you an enormous amount. So I would tell your 17-year-old son, go far away. If you want to be a welder, go far away to study welding, but try to learn another language at the same time.
1: Yeah, that's it's funny because I told him him and my and my do- daughter, my daughter has aspirations of, of going to, to college. um, And I told her and she was talking about, a, you know, like Michigan State University, which is great school, but it's still half 45 minutes away. I'm like, no, I no, want to no, go no. to California. Go to I, I want you thousands of miles away. So I share the same opinion.
2: <laughs> You're exactly right. She should go far away in the U.S. is fine, but at least far, far, Texas. Florida, yep. New England, Cal- anywhere, but not Michigan State. It's a wonderful play. I have a niece who went to Michigan State, but no, no, no. It should be far away from home. Um do you,
1: so, so we've talked about passion and, you know, and, and, and money. Obviously everybody cares about money, but do you, how do you, what is success to you? I mean, is it, is it money or is it, you know, pursuing your passion or kind of, kind of, how do you
2: find success? So. Well, Tim, for me, all I wanted was to buy my freedom. Uh, that was my idea of success. I didn't want cars or horses or houses or girlfriends or boyfriends. I just wanted to buy my freedom so I could do what I wanted to. That was all I wanted. I don't even have a watch, you know. I don't have. I don't. I don't. I don't have five houses. I don't have two houses. So, no, for me, freedom so that I could do whatever I wanted to, and so that my kids can do whatever I wanted to it was my idea of success.
1: You know, and, and I, I I hope it doesn't sound like I'm sucking up to you, but I, again a thousand percent agree. I mean I, I uh you know I, I mentioned being an outdoorsman I you know my son is, is seventeen and, and we <laughs> we went we went fishing last night together. You know when I was seventeen I wanted <laughs> nothing nothing to do with my dad. You know and I think that by having that freedom the, of, of, of being able to retire at an early age. I mean, him and I are basically best friends because I don't have to always be, you know, grinding. So I, I, I to me, that freedom is the definition of success. Yeah, it's not an expensive oh, watch or Lamborghini, you know. So, <laughs> uh,
2: Well, by all means, I hope you teach him to pursue his passions so that he can be successful and happy. And, you know, Kim, I, I know a lot of people who are very happy by by Wall Street standards, they're not successful, but they don't care. They're happy. You know what do they care? They have a very happy and good life.
1: So last question I have, and this is self serving, but um you know I've a I'm a I'm a huge reader. Um I would say probably my main hobby is reading. Um and and I've had big aspirations of of writing, and and I've I've stalled at writing a book for about. She's going on ten years now, start starting and stopped. So, uh, you know, you've wrote, geez, five or six books. What uh, I'm I'm begging for some advice. What what? uh How do you how do you sit down and make that book happen? So I want to see, damn it, Jim Rogers told me to finish this book. So. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I, again, I, I only met you today, so it's hard for me to give you too much advice. But I will tell you, I have noticed that you're good at talking and broadcasting, and that comes easy for you, and you, you're good at telling stories. What you might consider doing is sitting and telling this, recording it. Just get out a microphone or a recorder and tell the story. Tell all the stories you want to tell. Uh, record them. Have somebody transcribe them and then you edit because maybe you're better at telling the story than you are at writing the story. And again, I don't know, sure, but sure. I have noticed and observed. So maybe you just get a tape recorder and, and maybe you get somebody with you so can ask you, you know, if you said, Oh, and the sky was blue. And they say, wait a minute, what do you mean the sky was blue? So that they can, you know, draw out other points of whatever you're talking about. That might help as well. Or certainly after you've uh, transcribed it, have somebody read it and they'll say, well, wait wait a minute, Tim, what what does this mean here? The sky was blue. Uh, So it will just help you. And you you yourself, when you read it, would say, gosh, I better clarify that some more. So it might be a way to pursue it since you, you tell me you've sat down and tried to do it for 10 years. Maybe the block is... You don't want to write it. You want to tell the story. You're obviously, you're obviously broadcasting, so you must want to tell the story or draw out the story. So maybe that's the answer to your, to your question.
1: Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. I th- I'll, I'll, that's a great tip. I think I'll start that. I, I, de- I definitely have the gift of gab. You know, It's not hard for me to talk, that's
2: for sure. So. <laughs> tell the story. Just get out, get somebody with you and tell them the story and let them ask questions if they need to or just tell the story. Tell it into a microphone and then have somebody transcribe it.
1: Well, Jim, I would, I, I mean, this has been great. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, nothing but respect. I, I, I love, you know, street smarts. Stop,
2: stop, stop, nope. stop.
1: <laughs> anyway, that being said, I, I, re, I really appreciate you coming on our little podcast and, and spending the time with us. And, and I would love to catch up with you again in the future. And, and, and thanks a lot. So,
2: you know, you have my email. Let me know. We'll do it again. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Thanks a lot. Very good. Bye-bye. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. This is Sonya May from Albany, Georgia, and I like to travel the world while listening to Stephen and Tim
1: on the Steady Trade podcast. You can register to win real actual
2: prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. If you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did. And this is how we say goodbye in Orlando. Goodbye! Okay.